Welcome to Counter Apologetics. Welcome to Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we'll be discussing the A and B theories of time. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And that cause was Jesus Christ. We won't be discussing everything wrong with the Kalam cosmological argument today. We'll instead be questioning some assumptions the Kalam needs to make in order to work that are in conflict with modern physics, namely, the theory of time underlying the Kalam cosmological argument. Of space and time. Before Einstein, our understanding of time was basically due to Newton, and it aligned with our intuition. Time in the mathematics of Newton is pretty much time as we experience it. When Einstein came along, that all changed. Einstein came up with a number of theories. The first, the special theory of relativity, he developed in 1905, unlike what Newton said. Newton said that space is an absolute, eternal, unchanging stage on which the events of the universe take place. And he said that time is something that's also universal. It's something that ticks forward second after second in a completely uniform, absolute way. Time for you is the same for time for me is the same for time on Jupiter or the Andromeda galaxy. Einstein realized that that isn't true. Philosophers have identified two broadly competing views of time, the A theory and the B theory of time. The Kalam cosmological argument, to quote the Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology, is predicated upon the A theory of time. The A theory is the common sense understanding of time. The B theory of time, however, often referred to as the block universe, is the one widely accepted by physicists post-Einstein. According to Sean Carroll, it's the conventional wisdom. William Lane Craig disagrees with the vast majority of experts on the B-theory, and it's totally a coincidence that it happens to conflict with the Kalam, which was his original claim to fame. Though it might not be obvious at first glance, the Kalam argument is predicated on a particular view of time, and to the best of our knowledge, time isn't the way Kalam needs it to be in order to get off the ground. Don't you hate it when you have some predetermined conclusion you want to come to, but nature doesn't cooperate? So what are the A and B theories of time? According to the A theory, or presentism, only the present is real. The past really is behind us. It's no longer real. The future hasn't happened yet, and it won't become real until it is reached. This is obviously the intuitive option. It's the one that's most compatible with our ordinary, everyday experience of the passage of time. However, the past century or so of physics has led us to the B theory of time, on which all moments in time are equally real. There's a difference between past and future, but they both exist. Our everyday way of thinking about the world, the philosophers would call presentism. The past and the future, those are not real. The present moment is real, the past is memory, the future is prediction. But physics suggests a different point of view. The past, the present, and the future maybe are all equally real. 
This is a point of view called eternalism, as opposed to presentism that says the present is real and the past is a memory, the future is a prediction. Eternalism says all of the moments in the history of the universe are equally real. There's nothing special about the present moment except that you are experiencing it right now. Sometimes the point of view of eternalism is called the block universe perspective because you try to imagine stepping outside of the universe and seeing the whole four-dimensional thing as one block of both space and time. This is sometimes called the view from no when, the view from not any one moment in time but outside the whole shebang. We need to mention this now before we go forward. We have quite a lot of empirical support for the block universe. And let me summarize two striking examples. In 1919, during a total solar eclipse, Sir Arthur Eddington, who's been mentioned several times on Walden Pod because of his ideas about consciousness, performed the first empirical test of Einstein's general theory of relativity. According to general relativity, space and time are connected and form a four-dimensional block called space-time. Massive objects can warp the fabric of space-time and even light should not travel in a perfectly straight line. Gravity should make light curve, though not by much. Newtonian physics also predicts that light would curve due to gravity, but not by as much as Einstein's theory predicts. On Newtonian physics, space and time were independent and absolute. Eddington's data collected during the eclipse confirmed Einstein's predictions over Newton's. The morning after Eddington announced his findings, Einstein, who had been until then a relatively obscure theoretical physicist, was on the front page of newspapers around the world. The second example has to do with GPS satellites. According to the A-theory of time, only the present moment is real, and this is a universal truth. Time is ticking forward in a uniform, absolute way. Time for you is the same as time for me. It would be impossible on the A-theory for time to actually run at a different rate for you than it did for me. If it seemed that way for whatever reason, it would have to be some sort of illusion. However, on relativity, time could tick at different rates under a range of circumstances. This prediction is relevant to the proper functioning of GPS satellites. This was understood before we launched the first GPS satellite. But some of the engineers working on GPS just couldn't believe that time would actually run differently in space than it would on Earth. So they sent it up uncorrected. And within minutes, it was not working properly. When they corrected, according to the predictions of general relativity, it started working. We essentially had a switch that could make the system operate as if the A theory was true, or as if the B theory of time was true. It's also true that if you send an atomic clock flying around in an airplane, it records less time as having passed than a twin atomic clock that stayed on the ground. The A-theory would predict that two events which are simultaneous from one point of view would be simultaneous from all points of view, in actuality. However, according to the B-theory, this is not the case. Events that are simultaneous from one frame of reference could be sequential from another. From my frame of reference, events 1 and 2 could occur simultaneously, 
and from yours, they could occur one after the other. This is impossible on presentism, on which only the present moment is actually real. The future has no reality until it is reached. On the B theory, all moments in time are equally real. That's why it's possible to end up with events 1 and 2 following each other sequentially from your point of view and occurring simultaneously from mine. This phenomenon presents no problem whatsoever for the B theory of time. But on the A theory, the future is not yet real. That means that event 2 is not real. But event 2 is real from my frame of reference. It's happening in the present, from my point of view, because it's simultaneous with event 1. But it hasn't happened yet from your point of view. So in that moment, if we take the A theory of time seriously, event 2 is both real and not real. The B theory has no problem explaining simultaneity without leading to outright contradiction like that. The B theory can explain how it's possible that events can be simultaneous from one point of view and sequential from another. So how does the B theory undermine the Kalam cosmological argument? To quote the Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology, B theorists deny that in beginning to exist, the universe came into being, or became actual. They thereby focus attention on the theory of time underlying the Kalam cosmological argument. From start to finish, the Kalam cosmological argument is predicated upon the A theory of time. On a B theory of time, the universe does not in fact come into being, or become actual, at the Big Bang. It just exists, tenselessly, as a four-dimensional space-time block that is finitely extended in the earlier direction. If time is tenseless, then the universe never really comes into being, and therefore, the quest for a cause of its coming into being is misconceived. End quote. So on the B theory of time, the universe never truly began to exist. According to Craig, the B theory of time says that, quote, things don't come into being or go out of being. Rather, they are just all real. They just exist. End quote. So consider the argument, whatever begins to exist has a cause, the universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. To quote Craig again, I think the A theory of time underlies that first premise. When I say that everything that begins to exist has a cause, that presupposes this A theory. It seems to me that the A theory does underlie the Kalam argument in several ways. End quote. So we can deny the first and second premises of the Kalam cosmological argument if we accept the B theory of time, which again, happens to be the one with the best empirical support, and as Sean Carroll said, is the conventional wisdom among modern physicists. The A theory of time is obviously the intuitive one. However, when we consider our evolutionary history, we should expect the universe to seem strange to us on some level. Our intuitions evolved to help us survive and reproduce, ultimately. So there is no reason to expect the universe to conform to our intuitions perfectly. To obstinately stick by the A theory, even after such empirical support for the B theory has been collected, is not all that different from a flat earther insisting that the planet is stationary because it doesn't feel like it's moving. Our intuitions evolved to help us keep existing and make copies of our genes as social animals in our environments. They have a wide range of useful application, and they're mostly trustworthy within their domains. But our intuitions did not emerge so we could understand the physical nature of time. 
We need more than an intuitive complaint when we're talking about an aspect of fundamental physics that enjoys so much empirical support. The Kalam cosmological argument is considered by many to be one of the most powerful arguments non-believers need to grapple with. But as Craig admits, the Kalam only works if you reject the B-theory of time and all the experimental evidence in its favor along with it. The B-theory is the most widely accepted, and that's for a reason. It's where the evidence has led. And nothing could stop us but a dogmatic commitment to the A-theory and an irrational demand that the physical nature of time conforms to the intuitions of primates. The B-theory better explains phenomena such as simultaneity, length contraction, and time dilation. And if you want to come to Michigan to discuss this over some drinks, you're welcome, but you're not allowed to use GPS to get here. Remember, apologists don't deny that the Kalam argument requires the A-theory to be true to get off the ground. They just deny that the A-theory is an outdated conception of time that's been rejected by nearly all modern physicists in favor of a newer theory that better fits the evidence. When I first learned that time itself was relative, I was absolutely thrilled. I had somehow gone the first 19 years of my life without really grasping the fact that time can move at different speeds for different people. Actually, when time dilation was first explained to me, I had to call a friend to tell him about it because I was so shocked and excited. It's actually true that if you send one twin into space for a while, the other twin who stayed on Earth will be older than the one who traveled away from Earth. The universe we live in is so weird and beautiful. Dogmatic religious commitments, however, would have turned such a wonderful realization into a harrowing brush with doubt. Rather than just feel pure elation, I would have had to somehow deny our mind-blowing and hard-earned knowledge as some kind of trick or illusion, as Craig does in order to protect his Kalam argument. I would have had to find some way to unlearn true information about our world, or reject one of the most popular arguments for God's existence. But were I a learned 21st century Christian, I would already be well-practiced in science denial, whether it's the realm of biology, geology, cosmology, climatology, or neuroscience, I would already have plenty of experience dismissing or denigrating scientific facts and theories to protect my extremely fragile religious beliefs, which for some bizarre and unexplainable reason keep coming into conflict with each other. So what's one more thing? Reject the scientific consensus on the nature of time as well. Fortunately, I don't have to, because I'm not religious. I don't have to diminish the beauty or intrigue of our universe in order to protect any superstition. I'm free to go wherever reality might take me. That's all I have for you today. I would like to thank my Hall of Fame patrons, Jesta, Phil Stilwell, Richard Crossan, Pre-Nifty, and Rory B. Murkowski. And you can support this show on a per-episode basis at patreon.com counter where you can earn early access to every episode and access to bonus episodes. If you don't have the money to support on Patreon, but you still use technology that undermines the argument you're making, you can follow me on Facebook, YouTube, leave a five-star review, or tell your friends about the podcast. You can also subscribe to and leave a review of our sister show, Walden Pod. Our theme music was written and performed by the band Whalers. The song is called Magic Tricks and was used with permission. Thank you for joining me today. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll talk to you next time.